Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP26. My name is Lucy Fitzgeorge-Parker. I'm the editor for Sustainable Finance at Euromoney magazine, and I'm your host for this podcast, in which I'll be bringing you news and views from the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow. Yesterday was day four of COP, and on another lovely sunny day in Glasgow, I had the opportunity to sit down with Harry Boyd Carpenter, who is head of the Green Economy and Climate Action Team at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Originally set up to help the former communist bloc transition to a market economy, the EBRD has since expanded its region to include most of the countries of the South and Eastern Mediterranean, and over the past six years has increasingly focused on energy transition and the green economy. This year, it committed to align all its activities with the goals of the Paris Agreement by 2023, and in July became the first multilateral development bank to publish a detailed methodology on how to achieve this for directly financed projects. I asked Harry what he felt had been the most exciting announcements out of COP so far and which might be the most effective in mobilising finance to tackle climate change. Well, there's been a lot of action at COP, as, as you know. It's, I think it's been the busiest, most, most dynamic and certainly most well-attended COP I think any of us have ever seen. Um, in terms of announcements, if I, if I start in sort of the big picture um, at the macro level, I think the reforestation commitment was, was, was very powerful. Um, we'll have to see, of course, to what extent that translates into action, but that, that's, a very, that's a key area and one where we know we can, we can make a difference quite quickly. Um, we were very pleased to be part of the Global Methane Pledge. Um, it's not the most glamorous. Um, I think methane is certainly less appealing than reforestation, but actually it's an area where there's a huge amount that can be done and that also makes economic sense. Um, I think yesterday, obviously yesterday was the finance day, very big focus for us uh, as a financier. And I think there were a couple of key things there. One, obviously, the global financial analysis for net zero. Um, you know, that sent a very powerful message, not just that there's 1.3 or plus trillion uh, available for, for clean investment, but also that that money will not go towards unclean investment. So that was very powerful. Um, and then I think also the, the UK announcement of the requiring companies to have net zero plans. When you ask what is likely to catalyze investment, I think that actually might turn out to be one of the, the most powerful commitments because it's really forcing companies to look forward, to plan for a, for a low carbon trajectory, and that plan in turn will prompt investment. So I'd, I'd stop there and say that so far, I, I think there'll be more to come, but so far those are the most exciting in, announcements. Fantastic. Well, we've also heard calls this week for multilateral development banks such as the EBRD to do more on climate. How much more do you think the sector can do? Well, I think we have to do more. Um, I don't think any of us would deny that because, yes, there's a lot of excitement at COP. Yes, there's been a lot of progress in the last year. But, you know, even today we hear an announcement that emissions are yet again rising. Um, David Attenborough gave, I think, the most powerful speech on the opening day. And he focused on the critical number, which is parts per million. Um, now at 414, way above the pre-industrial average of 270. That is the absolute metric, and, in, and until that stabilizes and then starts to decline, then by definition, we are not doing enough. How much more can we do as a multilateral development bank system? Well, I think we can, we can do more by scaling up our own efforts, and there was a joint statement by the MDBs on, on Monday setting out where we want to go. Um, that talked about more support for countries of operation in terms of designing their way to a low carbon future, um, in particular support for what we call long-term strategies. Um, that talked about scaling up private mobilization, 
especially because we know that public sector balance sheets are very constrained in, in a post-COVID environment. But it's also true that doing more depends a lot on the regulatory framework in our countries of operation. And that's a very important point, that our ability to do more is fundamentally dependent on the level of ambition in the countries of operation. If those countries of operation create economic and regulatory environments which make low carbon investments economically viable, commercially viable, we'll do a lot more. If they don't, we're going to struggle. And well, as you say, that obviously the EBRD is working mostly in developing markets I and mean, you have some mm. um, middle-income markets in uh, Central Europe, but most of your markets are in, in the developing world. Um, we've also heard a lot this week about the need to help those markets with their energy transition. Where do you think that the MDBs and the EBRD in particular can have the biggest impact? I mean, is it is it through actual sort of direct project financing or through advisory or through, say, uh, as you say, um, helping to improve the regulatory environment through the financial system? So I think the answer is all of the above, and also it depends. In some countries, um, you know, I think some of the more advanced countries are working in, the, um, most obviously Poland, which is having an extraordinary renewable uh, energy boom. You know, we, we have a quite niche role to play, an important one, but it's probably focused on the more challenging business models like merchant renewables, new entrants to the market, capital markets transactions and offshore wind. In other markets, and I'm thinking now perhaps of Central Asia or North Africa, it's mainstream project finance because there's not really the commercial debt available. Um, and then in the, the markets which are still developing their regulatory frameworks, uh, we, we clearly have a, an important role to play. And I think VBRD in particular, we, we have a, you know, we, because we are a public bank with a very strong private sector focus, we do think we have a particular role to play as that interface between public and private. So we do a lot of work advising countries, I think we're up to 14 now, on renewable auction frameworks. And, and we've had some big successes recently with very low prices in Uzbekistan, in Albania, which really show what the sector is capable of. The other area where I think development banks need to be doing more and can do more is in the transmission and distribution sectors because that's the sort of unloved child of, of the of the energy sector right now but we know that we can't have the massive renewables penetration we need and that we can afford without big, much more investment in networks um, and because those are almost everywhere public sector if they're not public sector owned they're certainly regulated utilities that's a classic place where a, a public private institution really has, a, has a, an important role. Well, I mentioned the financial systems as well, and the EBRD, uh, like the IFC, works with a lot of partner mm. financial institutions in the, your markets. You provide uh, financing through intermediaries. Uh, I know that's not actually something you have a fully worked out framework on yet, how to uh, achieve Paris alignment with that, unlike with the rest of your portfolio. Um, that could be one of the areas that has the biggest impact, though, I, I guess, in terms of if you can help the banks make transition, then that will affect the whole of the rest of the economy. Yes, in the long run, there's a huge impact there. Um, and I think the impact, for, what's really exciting for us is using the tool of lending to banks to change not just where our money goes, but where all that bank's money goes. Because if you look at the leverage effect, the systemic effect, it's absolutely massive in that way. Um, but it's very challenging, um, and we, you say we don't. You're right to say we don't have a fully worked up um, methodology, but we're not far off it right now. We do actually have we do actually have a complete draft 
which we've now circulated to some of our key internal stakeholders for consultation. But my expectation is that before the end of this year, we will put that into the public domain and, and ask for comments. And we really mean it. I mean, we this is really difficult. Um, you know, we we know that it's we haven't got the right answer. We know that it's going to take a while to find the right answer. So we're really interested in hearing what people have to say about this. But as I say, we we expect to have the methodology for indirect finance uh, Paris alignment. Uh, out for public consultation in the course of next month. Uh, we expect to finalise it in the course of the first quarter of next year, and then we'll we'll start rolling it out and applying it. So we're not we're not as far off as as it might seem. Fantastic. Well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. We're looking forward to your comments. <laughs> so one last question: What will be you be watching for the rest of the COP? I as I said, this is day four. We've got another. Oh, eight. eight days to yep. come. Um, what do you think? Do you think we're going to see many more significant announcements, or what do you think are going to be the highlights for the rest of the conference? So for me, I'm looking at two things. One is um, I'm going to be going to and speaking at a few um, events from many of our key countries of operation. So this afternoon, I'll I'll speak at the Moroccan Pavilion about green hydrogen in Morocco. Tomorrow, I'm going to speak about Turkey. And Turkey, by the way, is an EBRD country of operation which has taken some really big steps in the last few weeks ratifying the Paris Agreement, adopting a net zero target. Next week I'm going to be back here talking at the Egyptian Pavilion. My colleagues are going to other uh, other countries of operations, pavilions. So, you know, EBRD is a bank fundamentally rooted in our countries. You know, that's our, they're our owners, that's our, they're our stakeholders, and our mission is to help them. So, having spent a lot of time the last couple of days paying attention to the, the macro global picture, we really want in the, in the rest of COP, we'll be paying a lot of attention to the country by country uh, responses and, and, and working with our country's operation to see how they can raise their ambition and how we can help them do, deliver on that ambition. The other big thing that I and I think everybody will be looking at is the conclusion of the technical negotiations. And especially for EBRD, we are very focused on the Article 6 negotiations. If they get to a successful outcome, we think there's enormous potential there. You know, we're a bank that believes in markets, we're a bank founded on the premise that markets are a good way to deliver public goods. If we get a good Article 6 mechanism, it is a big step towards a global carbon market. That, that would be a huge step forward in many, many ways, but certainly for us, it would be a big way, it would, it would be a real trigger to channel more money flowing from developed to developing markets and especially through the private channels. So I think those are the two areas I'll be looking at. Okay, fantastic. Well, I know you're very busy, so I'll let you go, but uh, thank, thank you. you very much indeed for uh, doing this podcast. Super. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back with more news and views from Glasgow in our next episode, so please keep a lookout for that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.